0: I have no doubt that he knew I was his daughter. I am the spitting image of my youngest sister, and, and I look exactly like him.
1: Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. And welcome to episode 144. And I do have a resource that I'd like to bring up right at the beginning of this podcast today. It is a book that has been going around for, I think I've know, known about it for at least a year in the NPE community. It is called NPE, A Story Guide for Unexpected DNA Discoveries. And I have spoken about this before. But today I have the author with me who is going to share her story. Uh, this book is by Leanne R. Hay, and Leanne is with me. So hi, Leanne. Hi, Lily. Thank you for having me on. I'm so glad we finally get to talk. So am I. <laughs> um, I know we've been emailing back and forth, and I, I, I got your book, and I see you on the forums a lot. But it's it's thank you for setting the time aside to speak with me today.
0: Well, I am um, a supporter of all things uh, NPE-oriented, and our community support is so important for each of us to reach out to one another whenever we can, that I am very honored to be here and to be able to talk
1: with you today. Oh, thank you. Okay, I have read your book. Let's talk about your book. When did you write this, and why did you write this? Well, my book started out
0: as my journal entries, as well as uh, letters that I crafted for my new family that I found through my DNA discovery, as well as other letters that I helped other NPEs write. So I guess I didn't sit down one day and thought, oh, this has happened, I think I'll write a book. Mm -hmm. I am a freelance journalist. And when this occurred to me, I retreated into um, my journaling for support and for clarity and for uh, my own resources. And over five years ago, when I made my discovery, there were very few resources to be found online. And of the few stories that were out there they were mostly just happy reunification stories,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as opposed to anyone um, being greeted with um, less than pleasant um, contact or being not contacted or responded to at all. So, when I made my discovery, I, my story is a little bit different than others in that um, I was an only child and raised as an only child. And the only thing that I had ever wanted my entire life that I hadn't been able to fulfill myself was to have a sibling. And I know that there are lots of folks out there that will say, well, just because you have a sibling doesn't mean that you would get along with them. And I know that's true, but I never would have the chance, or at least so I thought. I took a DNA test, like many people do, for fun to find out about some of the nuances in my ethnicities. My mother's family was 100% Sicilian. And my dad who raised me was 100% Slovenian. And in Slovenia, before it became that that country by that name, it had been a part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It had been part of Czechoslovakia. Um, A couple of centuries ago, it had been part of northern Italy. So I was very curious to see the nuances and the small little percentages that might be in my Slovenian ancestry, as well as knowing through history that most of the world's armies marched through the island of Sicily over the course of a couple of thousand years. And I thought it would be interesting to see what I found there, never, ever dreaming that I would find out that my dad who raised me was not my birth father and that I had known my birth father because he was my mentor and I loved him and he was also my mother's boss. Mm. So it was, um, a very uh, upsetting on many levels of discovery. Um, my mother had passed away many years ago. My birth father had passed away many years ago, and my dad, my BCF, who raised me, was ninety three at the time. And it was, I felt like I was against a brick wall. Of who am I going to call? Who am I going to contact? How am I going to find out what happened? what's going on here, all of the feelings that all of us have felt. Um, And I wrote a passage in my journal about what happened because I opened up the email, actually, when I was doing um, some part-time work for a nonprofit. And I didn't understand the email about this is, you know, this is your results are in, click on these to view the reports. I didn't really understand what the reports were telling me until I clicked on the part that said uh, to meet your DNA connections or your DNA matches, who have allowed contact to be made. And I'd like to share this with you because I've since learned that there are so many NPEs that have a physical as well as emotional and mental uh, response, a trauma, an impact when they learn the information So the entry that I placed in my journal about what I was going through at that moment um, was this. The staccato thoughts banging in my head came to a dead stop. I saw a man's name I recognized at the top of the list. The oldest son of my mentor from decades ago was listed as my half brother. Then I heard the clattering of my cell phone as it hit the white marble floor. The physical reaction was so unsettling that I lost my balance. A worn velvet-covered bench caught my fall. The vast glass ceiling above pouring in a stream of light held the puff of dust that bloomed in my wake. Particles danced in silence while my shock dispersed like unseen waves, moving out and then tossed a new reality in and over me. My body felt a moment of hollowness as a metamorphosis, reconfigured my life's
1: history. Mm. You're such a good writer, Leanne.
0: Oh, thank you. Mm. Thank you.
1: And that was your journal entry, but didn't that make that into the book? Didn't I read that? Yes. Yes, yeah. it did.
0: It did. And my purpose for bringing it up here is that I want listeners to know that there are a variety of reactions that can happen when you have this news that you are not abnormal, abnormal, you're not wrong, you're not at fault, there's no shame. If you have a physical response, as I did, then mental, emotional, spiritual, this, this is all a part of the journey. And I am so sorry that anyone else has to go through this because it is such a challenging time. And I want also people to know that this too shall pass. It takes it takes time, but I want them to have hope. I want them to have hope that whatever the future brings, they will be living in the truth. They will know, hopefully, who their parent is. They will know their ethnicity or their race or their religion or their culture. All of these parts will present them with something that for me, was the answer to the question of my life. Because all of my life, I had felt that something was just missing. Something was just wrong. I felt it as a child in my childhood home. I felt it as an adult. It didn't make sense. And literally, my second thought, once I started to digest the truth was, now I understand why my mother treated me the way she did. Now I understand why I didn't look like anyone in my family. Now I understand why my interests were so diverse and so, you know, not related to anyone that I knew. And I guess I was a year and a half after my discovery, I um, remet my youngest brother, um, who I had actually babysat for, um, him and his wife and his two children when I was in high school
1: and Mm. didn't know it. So you, when you were in high school were babysitting your, what is that? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And you didn't know it. Didn't
0: know it. Did not know that this was my brother and his wife, my sister-in-law and their two children. And it was, um, It was a heartbreaking reality to, to think of all of the events all of the life milestones that families experienced together were gone and could never be recreated but would only live in the memories
1: of those who had been there and I wasn't there do you have a relationship with your siblings today
0: I have a relationship with my youngest brother, John, and his wife, and my, I call them my nibblings, my nieces and nephews. <laughs> um, and I am a great aunt, because my nieces and nephews are closer in age to me than I am to their, to my brother. Um, my birth father was 52 when I was born. Uh, my youngest brother was 12 and um my nieces and nephews, my oldest niece is 53, Mm. and um her oldest son just turned 21. So it's what's interesting to see is that her son is actually I'm I'm young enough to be her son's mother. but they have been very open-hearted and very welcoming. It's unfortunate that geography um, separates us. They live on the east coast, uh, uh, the northeast coast, and I live in the Dallas area. So we only get to see each other in once a year, once every other year. Um, but we talk on the phone um, at random times, and uh, fortunate with social media. Everybody keeps me involved in... Uh, birthdays and kindergarten graduations and other important milestones like that, you know, the first ice cream of the summer. (laughs) And I feel very special and blessed um, that they include me in that, although we are included at a distance. Um, And I hope that my hope for the future is that we never know where time um, will take us and will take us in the places we will go. So I hope that I will hopefully see more, of them in the coming years, or perhaps they might have children that come to school down here or people move, things happen. Um, like Scarlett O'Hara says, you know, I'll, I'll think about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I also have a, a nascent relationship with my youngest sister. Um, she is 15 years older than me. And um, I met her, for the first time when I met, when I re-met my youngest brother, John, and um, she's had a, a difficult time with all of this. And one of the things that John and I talk about was that she was, even though she's only three years older than him, she was really more of a, a generation kind of behind him. Um, my brother um, is retired now, but he was a family law attorney and you know was in college in the 60s and graduated from law school in 72 and he always says you know i'm just an aging hippie over here and uh, he said so you know the more the merrier peace love you're all in here um <laughs> and i appreciate that um and he's got a very diverse family himself and the thing that binds everyone together and the thing that allowed me um to be accepted by them was the fact that we are family And that was a choice that they made. I was assured them when I first made contact that I was interested in my medical history. I was interested in um, my ethnicities and that I was fortunate in that I was uh, married, had a family of my own, had a career and wanted nothing from them except this basic type of information. And they were more than generous with not only sharing that with me, particularly my youngest sister, Jane, um, but my brother and his family, John and Kathy, have been incredibly welcoming and gracious and loving and fun and just what siblings are supposed to be. Unfortunately, it did not go well with um, a couple of the older siblings, and that was a choice that they that they made. Um, and I don't think anything's going to change now. I mean, one's 92 and one, the other one is 88. And I think that that's probably going to remain the way it is, but that's okay. That's, that's okay. And, um, I kind of feel sad for them because I'm a, I'm a fun little sister (laughs) (laughs) and um, I think I bring a lot to the family (laughs) as Mm -hmm. one of my, as one of my nephews said, Oh, you're the cool aunt. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. It was very sweet. They're Mm -hmm. really, they're my my nieces Mm -hmm. and my nibblings, the nieces and nephews and great nieces and great nephews are just a really terrific, loving bunch Um, and they owe that to their, to their dad and their mom, um, who look at their family together as not blended or half siblings or whatever it's your, your siblings, you're our children, we're, this is our family. Everyone's welcome. The Mm -hmm. more the merrier, you know, if you're divorced, the ex-spouses are there. If you have ex-partners, whatever, no one's left out. Everyone's included, and the minute you walk into their home, you feel that. Mm. That's how they are. That that is their that is their um, that is their vibe, and it is a powerful one, and one that I wish more people would partake in. Mm-hmm. That being an NPE doesn't mean you have to give up or put aside anything. You can take on and enjoy more. Of everything, mm-hmm. um, as I tell my Slovenian cousins, I, I may not be Slovenian, but I still make the best stuffed cabbage rolls out of any of you. <laughs> <laughs> and they too have been appreciative because they were able to observe for many years that I um, after my my birth certificate dad after my dad passed away, I then told the majority of the family what I had discovered. And they were able to reflect on how I had treated my dad and how I took care of him in his last few years of life, knowing that I was a loving, dutiful, generous, caring daughter who made the choice not to tell him what I had found out because I didn't know whether he knew or not. And I figured if he knew... I would probably be really angry with him. Um, And I didn't want to be angry with an old man who had been a good dad. By the same token, if he didn't know, I didn't want to be the one who broke his heart. Because Mm -hmm. I figured, you know, I I had been down that road myself and didn't didn't want to do that to somebody else. So that was the choice that I made. Um, And I also want to share to people out there that are listening that may not be your choice. And that's okay, too. I am I am not advocating for one way or everyone should do it this way. What I hope is that everyone will consider what the rewards and what the consequences are of what they choose to do, because they're the only one that's going to have to live with it. Mm-hmm. So it's important, you know, if you want to go all scorched earth, and you know, social media stalk and send letters and do drive-bys on people's houses and whatnot, you know, I'm going to stand by you if it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. I'm going, I want you to know you have my support. My, I made my choice. My choice might be different than yours. Neither one of us has made a bad one. We both have to live with the consequences. I'm glad that I can say five years plus into my discovery that what I chose to do, I'm still delighted with the choice that I made. I still feel that I made the right choice and I wouldn't
1: change anything. I love that message. And that's something I, I share is there's no one right way to go about this or to, whether you choose to not tell your birth certificate father or whether you choose to contact uh, people right away, that's, Everyone has different personalities. They know their family dynamics best. Um, Yes, I'm. Thank you for reminding me of that. That there's no one right way to 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 do this. Once you find out this shocking news,
0: exactly, exactly. I know that there's been a lot of discussion in the different NPE chat boards and Facebook groups about using the quote, "Honesty is the best policy." And I wish there was an asterisk after that. Um, I've also seen comments about, you know, if, if relationship can't handle the truth, then maybe it needed to be, you know, torn down. And that needs to be an asterisk after that too. Mm. It wasn't worth my father's pain. It wasn't worth breaking the heart of a 93 year old man. Mm. If, he didn't know, and yeah. I knew how I felt, and I thought, and I knew how I, and I knew how I would have reacted. I knew how I was honest enough with myself to say, if he knew, and he tells me he knew, it's going to get ugly, and I'm really going to hate myself afterwards. So let's not go there. Let's not go there. And yeah. For me, that was the right thing. Others may make
1: other choices. I stand beside you. You have my empathy. And about your biological father, I know you mentioned he was a mentor to you. The fact that he was a mentor to you and that he was in your life, how do you, I don't know how this question will go. Do you think he knew you were his daughter and that's why he was in your life so much?
0: I have no doubt that he knew I was his daughter. I am the spitting image of my youngest sister. And and I look exactly like him. It is, I finally, when I saw, when I, when I made the connection, I was just like, how could I not have seen this? How, how could I have not known? And on some level, I do believe I did because he used to spend a lot of time with me. Um, and it was ostensibly because He's taken an interest in you, and you have a lot of um, uh, hobbies and interests in common, so he would like to spend more time with you. And as a young girl who was college-bound and was very bright, and I was always sent to private schools, this was um, an opportunity for me to go to museums and sporting events and cultural events and... um, Go to different restaurants and dine out and have all these experiences that my parents didn't provide or weren't interested in or didn't have the time for or I don't I don't know what. And when I ever put sometimes on um, social media posts they'll put up um, on Fridays about you know put a, post pictures of your birth certificate father and, oh, yeah. and your birth father and, you know, have people guess who your birth father is without fail. <laughs> the overwhelming majority, every time I do this, picks my birth father.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Well, let me ask you about your mother. So she had already passed by the time you found this out but it sounds like you're, you're starting to understand more about why she treated you the way that she did. Um, would you have ever liked to have talked to her about this? D- is there anything that... Tell me more about how this makes sense to you now that you found this out.
0: The clarity that my discovery gave me was in a lot of ways quite remarkable. Because I never understood why my mother treated me um, so unkindly when I was a kid, particularly after I became a mother. I have two daughters. And when I saw her interacting with them, I was just amazed. It's like, I would think often to myself, I I didn't think she had it in her, you know, this, the, this patience, this nurturing, um, this kindness, her, her desire to spend time with them, reading with them, taking them places. It was like with Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, I was happy for my daughters and glad that they were going to have this, you know, have this relationship with their grandmother. But I was like, wow, where was this, you know? few decades ago. And what occurred to me was that, I believe throughout my childhood, throughout their very long affair, um, that either my mother held, she must have either held out some kind of belief that they would be together at some point in time, or when she was feeling frustrated, I was kind of like, the surrogates that she would take her frustrations out on. Um, and it was hard. It was hard growing up, particularly being an only child. It was difficult growing up in my house, um, being sent to private schools, which sounds like, oh, great, private schools, how nice. You know, not when you're growing up in the city and every all the other kids in the neighborhood go to the Catholic school or the public school, and you're the weirdo with no brothers and sisters who gets put on a bus every morning to go off to God knows where to go to school. And, you know, I look back on that. And that's where my love of reading and writing came from, because of that solitude, because of being alone, because of having to deal with loneliness at such an early age. And in hindsight, I mean, besides the outrageous anger that I felt that sent me to therapy after I made this discovery saying, I have this anger. I know it's poison. I've got to deal with this somehow. I don't know how, but let me scream and yell for an hour every week (laughs) and maybe I'll get it all out of me. And what I came to realize once I was able to get all of those feelings and emotions out was that I really wasn't angry. I was suffering from deep, deep-seated grief in that my mother chose to live a tortured life. And because of her choices, I too was tortured as a child. And that was a very sad thing. And what I mean by tortured, I'm talking figuratively, not literally. Um, and I was able to find... Compassion and forgiveness. And I found this compassion, forgiveness for myself, which freed me from the anger and the hostility that I felt towards her. People often say, you know, how do you expect to forgive someone? Forgiving is a way to release yourself from the negative emotions that are going to cause physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual harm to you. And one of the things that I address in my book is that there are scientific studies, um, some done by the University of Southern California, as well as some done by the Mayo Clinic that demonstrate that once you forgive someone or let go of an anger or perceived slight and find a way to cope with it and or heal yourself from it, physically and mentally, you do better. And I think that's an important message that I want to get out to NPEs. I, I know how hard it is to forgive. I know. I mean, I sat in my therapist's office and said to her that I was ready to disinter my mother's ashes from a columbarium and throw them in a dumpster. And my therapist said to me, would that make you feel better? (laughs) And I sat and thought for a minute and I said to her, honestly, no. She said, okay, what would make you feel better? I said, well, my mother left me this set of china. It's got, I don't know how many hundreds of pieces that she adored. How about if I throw those off the roof of your building? (laughs) And she said to me, well, would that make you feel better? And I thought to myself, hmm, after all is said and done, probably not. (laughs) And she said, okay, then let's spend some time talking about What will make you feel better? And what we decided and what I came to was that what would make me feel better was letting go of it, letting go of the anger, because I couldn't change it. I would never have a big verbal showdown. I would never have the satisfaction of, you know, screaming at her, how could you take away my siblings, the only thing I ever wanted, besides children? I just, you know, Elsa in Frozen sings about letting it go. That girl knows what she's singing about. <laughs> it, when you are in crisis and trauma from an NPE discovery, particularly in those first, first few weeks and days, it's difficult to comprehend that time will pass and there are choices that you can make for self-care That can improve how you feel. And I want NPEs to know that self care can be something as simple as making yourself that kind of fancy tea that you like every night. It can be seeking out licensed professional counselors, a therapist, a social worker, um, a religious um, counselor who is licensed also by the state that you live in, that there are community clinics for mental health, that there are university medical schools that have outreach programs for community mental health. Um, There are dozens and dozens of peer-to-peer support groups online. There are so many ways for you to connect with others so that you know you're not alone. It's not about you it's about them and we can get you the NPE community can can get behind you and support you through the first few days and weeks and months and to let you know that you're not alone that there are resources now that are plentiful and are easily available regardless of whether you have insurance or not and tomorrow's a better day. You're going to feel better tomorrow than you felt yesterday and next month and the month after that. And the next thing you know, five years has passed and you've written a book.
1: <laughs> right. That's what the, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I, when I got this book and you, you sound so, you know, better, just healthy, just better. And I remember when I was in those first few weeks, first few months, um, you know, close to a panic attack, feeling so bad, so alone, and being like, "How can I one day feel like that and that's just a good reminder, leanne um that that you will that there are resources and more books and more podcasts all the time that are coming out, and more support groups um and now there's even such a thing as a they're starting to create a like a certification process for m p e certified therapists, hopefully they'll get that up and running. But people listening to this podcast, a lot of times they only have, they've only known for, you know, five days. Right.
0: And that's why I encourage them to look for specifically, yes, my book, because right now um, I am also um, promoting my book for the benefit of DNA Angels, which is a nonprofit organization that helps find people's birth parents with, for no charge. Um, their mission is to make sure that everyone knows who their birth mother and birth father is, and they will hunt and search for as long as need be. And sometimes they find answers within a day, and sometimes it takes them three years. But they are an incredibly talented and gifted group of volunteers who take on this mission to help everyone find their identity, to help them find their connection to who and where they belong, and to provide them with support afterwards and suggestions about how to contact family members. Um, A portion of my commissions and royalties throughout the month of November will go directly to DNA Angels, as well as if you purchase uh, my book on dnaangels.org website There is a link there to Amazon, and Amazon will also give DNA Angels an additional donation um, if the book is purchased through that link. Mm. I want to put good in the world with this book. I want no one to ever to feel alone because of making this type of a discovery, and I want everyone to know that there's someone out there who is holding you in the light, and it's me.
1: And can people hear you on DNA Angels? Are you going to do the telethon that day on Giving Tuesday? Yes, I am. Um, I am. I've already been uh,
0: pre-recorded for the telethon, and you will hear me talk about different experiences. Um, that are not in the book, as well as um, being the brand ambassador for DNA Angels, which is something I am very proud of.
1: Oh, thank you for collaborating with them on this. I I always talk about them, but uh, so many people have benefited from their services, their free services, which Mm -hmm. is unbelievable. So thank you for also for giving some proceeds to them as well in November.
0: I think it's important uh, for my work in this community to be supportive of this community in a circular sort of fashion, in that when there was nothing out there for me, the little that was out there was very, very important. Now there's more out there, and my book is one of those things that we can also use to provide more to help others. DNA Angels didn't exist when I made my discovery 5 years ago and now they already have over over 3500 solved cases for their clients which is remarkable so if a little if, if if each of us in everything that we do can give a little bit back to you know the next NPE that comes along and we know that there will be a next NPE especially this time of year when The DNA companies are doing all of their massive Christmas advertising and talking about what fun it is to take a DNA test. (laughs) Um, The reality is that about 10% of everyone who takes a consumer DNA test will find out that either they are an NPE, they have an NPE half-sibling, or their parent or grandparent has an NPE. Pretty staggering. Unbelievable. In 2022, where all the DNA companies, the top 100 reporting, particularly the big three, who we all know who they are, there have been over 45 million DNA tests that have been purchased and have been um, registered and taken. 10% of 45 million is 4.5 million people. 4.5 million people is more than the population of the city of Los Angeles. Mm. That's how many NPEs there are
1: right now. Gosh. Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier you were speaking and you'd mentioned that um, your mother and your birth father had a very long affair or... I wrote that down anyway in my notes when I was listening to you. What makes you think they had a long affair?
0: Well, my mother and birth father, my my birth father was the senior partner of a law firm and my mother was his private secretary slash paralegal. So, they she worked for him she was with him for 21 years until he had a stroke and then re- oh. and then retired from the firm wow so you know was it was it an ongoing affair i don't know but they were certainly in a relationship for 21 years
1: oh yeah and if he's if she's continuing to work for him And he's coming over to your house and taking you to, you know, nice restaurants and events. Yes, obviously that was, uh, you can extrapolate, that was a very good relationship between the two of them. If not, if not an affair, a continuous affair. Exactly. Exactly. Did you ever suspect that though, when
0: you were younger? Um, There was one time when I did suspect that believe it or not, not that they were having an affair, but that he was somehow my father. Um, he had um, offered to take me out uh, to celebrate after I got my driver's license and uh, to take me out to dinner and go and see the fall leaves. And I remember after I hung up from that conversation with my mom, I had called her when I, my <laughs> my dad had taken me to the state police barracks where. Driver's license tests were given in Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And I had passed my test. And when I got home, I called my mom at work and told her. And she said, Oh, hold on. Let me tell Uncle Tom. Because that's what I called my mentor, my birth father. I called him Uncle Tom. Mm -hmm. And she got back on the phone and said, Uncle Tom would like to take you out to dinner tonight to celebrate. Would you like to do that? And I said to her, "Does he spend this much time with his own kids?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And without missing a beat, my mother said, "Well, she's, he's not that crazy about most of his kids, except for John. Um, and he, you know, you and he share a lot of interest together." And I said, as normal teenagers do, going on to the next topic in a split second. Okay, that sounds great. You know, <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll go. That sounds great, terrific. And when I got off the phone, I thought to myself, is he my father? And then I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. never thought about it again until, gosh, that memory cropped up about a year and a half, two years after my discovery. And snippets of conversation like that would come to me and have come to me, you know, as recently as last year of things that are like, oh, okay, now I know what that meant. Oh, okay. Now I understand.
1: Oh, yeah. Putting the pieces together. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's a that's quite telling if your mother's boss wants to take you out to celebrate the night you get your driver's license.
0: Right. And, and, and why did my dad never question it? I never mm-hmm. once heard my dad say, you know, why is my 16-year-old daughter going out with your boss? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, did dad know? Didn't dad know? I don't know. I, you know, i hold everybody equally responsible for those that knew and for those that didn't i think to myself why didn't you uh, but it's all in the it's it's past it's past and i am fortunately at peace with it you know i can think back on certain times or when you're you know when you're recalling a story to friends or even talking on podcasts there are certain emotions that come up that are still very real and i think that that may also be something that people aren't familiar with. It's like, oh, well, if you still feel, feel angry about this, you you know you haven't forgiven them. It's like, well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think when you have a strong memory, you go back to that time and you think of what you felt and what you saw and what you smelled and all of your senses were, and it recreates mm-hmm. the memory. And then if you have forgiven, you you know put it back in the box and put it aside and those feelings because you have forgiven them. They, they don't hold the power over you and your life and don't live rent-free in your head anymore.
1: I know you're in peace today. I guess that would be the acceptance part of the five stages of grief, but I found that really helpful when I was reading your book and when other people have mentioned this in the MPE community as well. Um, I might be getting the name wrong, but You wrote about, is it Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's yes uh, The the Five Stages of Grief and how Mm -hmm. you can even go back and forth between them and and anger or denial. Would you speak a little bit about what you wrote on that? Because I found it so helpful.
0: Um, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book titled On Death and Dying, and it was published in 1969. So it's over 50 years old. And her research recorded observations of people who were terminally ill. And what she observed was that these people kind of um, experienced the same stages in a similar progressive order. There was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I guess what some people don't understand is that grief Means profound sorrow. And that other situations that involve loss, like being an NPE, also involve profound sorrow. So for me, when I was able to understand and name that my anger was really grief, I was able to more quickly and efficiently process. Exactly what I was feeling. What we find, and what I found being an NPE, was that at the very beginning, I was kind of stuck in a mental loop about what my life would have been like if. And I, a lot of us talk about that. Um, what my life would have been like if I had been a part of this family, if I had had these advantages, if I had had this money. Interestingly enough, there are also NPEs that talk about oh, thank God I wasn't a part of this family. <laughs> mm-hmm. This family is a train wreck. I'm so grateful I had the family that I had. Mm-hmm. So there's no, that still doesn't mean you don't have regrets or that you don't have grief because of the lies that you were told. Because there are so many things that, are, that connect us, whether we are raised with a family or not. And that is our biology, our genetics, our medical history, uh, the way we look, um, things that we have affinities for what our hobbies are, what our interests are, what our jobs are. And I guess what's important is that I don't want NPEs to feel that they're doomed um, never to recover from the grief that they feel. And in the five stages of grief, the Kubler-Ross model, what we learn is that you can ebb and flow between these different stages. You can have anger. And you can use that as kind of like a framework of, okay, now I understand where I am. This really stinks. I'm really unhappy. I don't like this a lot, but my anger is normal. And I'm going to process this. I'm going to work through this. I think it's hard for people to understand that are not MPE, what it means to be an MPE. And although they have a lot of compassion And understanding is not the same as having empathy. It's not the same of saying, I've walked in your shoes, I've been where you've been. And understanding this through these five stages of grief is a good way also to explain to others who might have had other losses in their own lives, what this is actually like, and can be a relatable tool to communicate what the NPE is feeling.
1: Yeah. I've found it to be so helpful ever since it's been brought up that the five stages of grief do apply to NPEs. And because yes, we are experiencing grief, profound sorrow. I, that's, that hits it exactly on the head and how you can vacillate back and forth between the different stages. Because I know I've certainly been there.
0: Absolutely. And how some may last longer than others. And I guess what's so important is that I, I've heard NPEs, including myself, refer to what they're going through or what, how they are how they're experiencing their emotions as being, "I'm a basket case." And the reality is is that you've suffered a loss and you're experiencing difficult, energy-sapping emotions. So you go ahead and call yourself anything you want, but it's okay because what you are experiencing is real, is legitimate and valid. You're not a basket case.
1: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for validating that for me and for so many people listening. I have a question about the book. I I suppose this is kind of a sidebar, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you ever hear back? from anyone from the Church of Latter-day Saints? I know you wrote them asking. The- I'm
0: just curious. because I- <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Uh, as a matter of fact, no, I'm still waiting for my reply uh. from, the, from the news and media office. And if there is anyone out there um, listening to this podcast who is from the Church of Latter-day Saints uh, media office, the newsroom in Salt Lake City, Utah, who I emailed several times and called. I am still waiting to have um, an answer on why an NPE can't get into heaven. <laughs> um, inquiring minds want to know,
1: uh, and they wrote you back and they said we will be in contact with you shortly. But right? Never, uh, okay, got it.
0: Short. Sure, I think the the clock is still running. And we're around.
1: Uh, I don't know, pushing two years now. Wow. Wow. Oh, and and also just personally, I'd love to know: Are you going to be at the? What's it called? Um, The Untangling Our Roots Summit. I am. I am. There is going to be an author's panel and I am going to be on
0: that panel um, talking about lots of things, but also I want other NPEs to know that it's important for them to, if they want to make their story public, um, resources that they can go to and how to share this story and what's important um, for them to put in a story. As well as any questions that they ha- might have about follow ups on things that are going on in my book. Um, recently, if you had uh, an ebook, you would have gotten an update because I have now added an index, uh, excuse me, yeah, an index to the back of the book um, to make it more user friendly, particularly in academic situations. Um, a lot of people have passed my book on to their therapists because, as you mentioned, we are just now in our community um, fostering continuing education for people in the mental health fields, as well as I am working very diligently on trying to get the curriculum placed in undergraduate psychology and biology classes um, for students to understand that this is another aspect that can impact
1: not only health, but the mental well-being of their future patients. Oh, wow. Oh, exciting. Well, thank you for working on that. And uh what day are you going to be on the panel at the summit, the Friday or the Saturday? Saturday. Saturday morning. I think oh. it's at 10 o'clock. Good. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to attend because Friday's my busy day. So Saturday I can go to the, to other people's um, speaking engagements. And I
0: I will be doing the reverse. I will be visiting (laughs) everyone on, on Fridays. I will also be uh, participating at the booth that DNA Angels is having. And if you have a copy of my book and would like to get it signed, I would be happy to sign it for you there or sign a book plate for you to add in at a future time.
1: Oh, good. Well, I have assigned a copy, but who knows? Maybe I'll bring it with and have you add a little bit more to it now. <laughs> <laughs> and now, if people want to get in touch with you or if they would like your book where where can we direct them? where they sh- where should they go from here? Uh,
0: you can go to Amazon to purchase my book. Um, and that is whether regardless of whether you are in the United States, Canada, Australia, or the u k. Um, It is also available on Google Play, Apple, and Rakuten Nobu. Um, You can also go to the dnaangels.org page and on their homepage it is there for sale and a portion of the proceeds will go to dnaangels.org to help other NPEs find their birth parents. Um, You can go to your local Bookstore and request it because uh, Ingram Booksellers does uh, sell my book to bookstores. So anyone can go and request a copy of it if you are not purchasing books online.
1: Um, and it is also available in ebook as well as paperback. And now, how about getting in touch with you? Do you have a website or or Twitter you'd like to share? I do. Uh, my website is
0: com. And my Twitter handle is at Leanne R.H. And I do respond to everybody who writes to me because I really appreciate that you would take time out of your life to put words to virtual paper and send them to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Leanne, I've thoroughly enjoyed this today. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story and and your book with us. I appreciate you so much.
0: Lily, I appreciate you having me so much and being able to share my story with you and other listeners out there um, is just a real gift um, that will keep on giving. Because as we know, once you put it out on those airwaves in the internet, Uh, the things get around. And I hope that someone, whoever is listening, whenever they are listening, will know that um, Lily and Leanne are here to support them, to stand by them, and care about them.
1: These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.